Now views and express views of things of nature are not the necessary expression and sponsor. This is the studio of Georgia. This is the studio of Georgia. Get a conversation call one six five five six two zero four four Views and opinions of nature talk 
we're gonna talk about remembrances and things that um October president. He was one of the one of the I like I like time of one of the little presidents that one of the little presidents but like now we now have now have now have I know who this is. I think I do. Let me see. Hello. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Hey. Hey. What happened to you last week? I was on. I was on. Yeah, all right. I'm going to leave that alone. I just, I just, I just, I just played the play program. program. All right. Well, uh, I changed phones, so I try to make, I hope they have a better reception tonight. Is, does it sound, does sound better? better? Uh, just a little bit, very little bit, but still got the echo, though, echo sound. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the echo right now. Right I, I just still haven't figured that, figure that out. Yeah. Well, you gotta you gotta let them know, man. So anyway, so how's it going? How you been? It has been. Um. Quite 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 busy. Busy. But but wonderful. Week. Week. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yep. Yep. And, and enjoy enjoying your retirement. <laughs> hey, you would have to bring that one up, huh? <laughs> hey, that's it. That's what you say. Work all the little years for, for, for that? All right, now bring it. Yeah, yeah, a... Walk around but, the city. Well, they for sure, I stay busy. You know what? You, uh, you found out that you could be just as busy, retired, as you could while you were working. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Between, between, right. between house, 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 between being here at home, home, home and, and, and church, church, stay busy. Stay busy. Uh, don't don't even mention that church because they will keep you busy and busy. Believe me, they will. Yeah, they will. Pastor, 
My path is busy. Yeah. Yeah. All right then. Well, your your city is on my list for for traveling next year. Oh, oh boy. boy. <laughs> oh yeah. But what it what right. advice? Don't don't come, come in March. In March. Oh no, it'll be uh like uh, maybe uh, May or June, something like that. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Okay, okay. I was gonna, gonna tell you, you like I anybody else to go come, come to Savannah. Savannah. Don't, don't make, make don't, don't come, come don't come, come in March. March. Make, make sure you, you got, got your, your booking up to before March seventeenth. Because because all the hotels will be will be occupied. Ah, all right then. Sounds good. Thank you for thank you for that uh, warning. Beautiful. That's that's uh, sure the third, third largest parade. parade. I think second or third, second or third, third largest parade in, in, in the nation. Other than Boston, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. All right then. Huh. So, Sounds good. I I, I want. I, I want to, so they do. So they do. Won't. Won't. Uh, uh, go on, go on come, come, come to Savannah to do that time because it's going to be, that's a long, long time. <laughs> All right, then. Long, 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 long time. Long time. Hmm. All right. Well, anyway, like I said, it'll probably be uh, around May, between May, June, something like that. I don't know. I'll be traveling oh, with some more people, so. That'd be good. Okay, yeah, that's 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 good. Get some that, get some of that, that fresh seafood. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It also reminds my, my folks that this, this is, is the week, week of and well, this is the month of Advent. The what? This is the month of Advent. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, I just, just we started, started to kick it off this morning. morning. Um, um, every, every Sunday, Sunday up to right before, before the New the Year, year we, 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 light light candle. Candle. we light a candle. We light a candle. Oh, I, I didn't know it was, it was that long of a time to uh, go along that way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. We, we, uh, do we do that every. We, we do that every. That every um, uh, every, every year. year do, do, in December. In December. Oh, okay. December. Okay. Sunday. Beautiful. And we we kick off. And uh. I got, I got my, my, my book, book on it. I've been 31 special reading, so I'm, I'm reading that as well. Uh, all right, then. So uh, every, how's everything else going? Pretty, Pretty good. good. Yeah, 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 I mean, that is cancer-free. Wait a minute, I didn't quite understand you. Did, did, did I mention that Vanessa's cancer-free already? 
I don't know, man. Well, well she is. Oh. Thank yeah, you for telling me. So. so oh yeah, everybody, everybody, just keep her in your prayers. She's going, just going through it. Uh, just keep, yes, I keep her in your prayers. Now, now, this particular, this particular um, episode, episode of Snap, Snap Judgment comes very, very interesting. Tonight, tonight it's coming very, very interesting. interesting. It, it has to do with a sailor who was involved well, in this. You had service um, today, right? Huh? You had service today, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Of course, course, his son, son, no, no. 
Because Clinton, Clinton and, 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 and Obama, Obama, they were they very, very close, close to Mr. Bush. Bush. They were very close. Right, right. All three were great, great, great friends together. together. They all they were great, great friends. friends. They worked, they worked together, together. After, after, um, um, after, after the term was up. Especially you know, that's, that, that's what makes a good that's what makes a good country where they can uh, cross party lines and communicate one to another. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, 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 they were, were they to speak on. We got to speak on that in the church, you know. Yeah, yeah. About how that people get so selfish. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they 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 worked to, to Clinton and Bush worked together on the. I can't remember what project, what project it was, was. but they but were they together, were together on, on, a, on a project together. together. Even, even after, after, even even after, after they were out, out, out um, 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 after the after term, the term left, left, they, they, they finished their term. So, so um, and, and I know Obama, he would... So, uh, seek, seek advice from, from, from the elder gentleman from time to time, 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 time. Oh, yeah, okay. Sounds yeah. good. Okay, yeah, I have I, to. They were close as well. Along with the Bushes, the Bushes, the Obamas, Clinton, all of them. And I think the Carters, too. Hmm. Well, when we come, come back, back, the incredible story from the Cuban Business Crisis. And later on, I held farewell to George Walker Bush. Hey, this is, hey, this is Regal Matter, and I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about a very serious spot here in our own backyard. Did you know that there are nearly 6 million people struggling with hunger in America? That's one out of every population in this country. You know, one of the most
Whenever anyone in his family asked Jack Boyles about his time aboard the USS Shangri-La during the 60s, he always told them the same thing. That he simply knew that I had been on the Shangri-La and that I had some very close friends on the ship and that I enjoyed my time there. But they just don't know the half of the story. And I couldn't say a word about it. Even after Jack left the service and settled down in his hometown in High Point, North Carolina, the powers that be would not let him forget the story of what happened. My mother said that an FBI agent, actually it was two, had come to our home just asking her questions about me. About the same time, the pastor at our local Baptist church told me that he had been contacted by an FBI agent, and he asked me, what did you get into? And I said, nothing. It's been 56 years. And still today, the memory of waking you in the middle of the night, you sort of learn not to move and not to move, just open one eye real carefully and slowly. You hear people sometimes say, well, I'm trying to find myself. Well, in these three days in 1962, I found myself, and I knew exactly who I was and exactly what I was going to do. And there was no looking back. In October of 1962, Jack was aboard the USS Shangri-La when word came down that the captain of the ship wanted to see him. I could not help feel like I had done something wrong. And I'm having the strangest strangest everything from they're going to throw me overboard for some reason to they're going to put me in the brig and nobody will ever see me again. As Jack made his way to the private area on the ship, he noticed two officers with weapons on their shoulders, standing guard. And I knew at this time that something was going on that's bigger than what I'm looking for. As the only yeoman on the Jack to just back and forth between the top officers. So he knew before most people on board exactly what the ship was doing in the waters around Cuba. Talks between the U.S. and Russia were coming to a head, and in what appeared to be a final move, the White House surrounded the island with navy ships to stop any more Russian supplies from going in or coming out. Almost looked like a doggone World War II invasion that you would see on the movie screen today. It's that two-week period now known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. The threat of nuclear war was very palpable. 
But I had no earthly idea what was yeah. fixing to happen to me. And I noticed in the center of the room there was a large table. I recognized the captain, the executive and officer the executive was there. Was and there. I came to attention, said that my name is Boyd. My name is too, reporting as ordered, sir. As ordered, sir. And he said, stand easy. This is this a is mission that we're going to discuss with you that is a strictly voluntary <laughs> mission. Then the captain went on to say to me then and there, this is probably a one-way mission. Do you understand that? God, a one-way mission, that means, that means one way, that means dead. In the back of my mind, I kept thinking about my family my sister, my mother, and my dad. And I thought about them all the time that these few minutes were passing. And I kept seeing their faces in front of me. And, and I said, I, sir, I understand. Yes, I volunteer for this. It seemed like everybody started breathing again instead of holding their breath. I could almost feel it. So the captain said, thank you, Boyles. Pull up a chair. The captain told Jack that he'd received top secret orders from the White House to put a contingency plan in place immediately. The U.S. had provided three nuclear missiles in Cuba. This plan was that the United States would bomb these nuclear weapons that Russia and Cuba had in place before they launched them against the United States. I thought to myself, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they know what an atomic bomb would be like, and you can see pictures of that complete devastation in, in World War II. A nuclear bomb would be considerably more than both of those events put together. And in 1962, the only way for a pilot to locate and accurately drop a bomb was to place an individual on the ground at the site of each missile silo. Three separate silos, three separate people with the same mission to light those three silos up simultaneously and explode all three of them as close to the same moment as humanly possible. My mission, what was assigned to me, was silo number two. You hear the words, you hear the plan, and you know you're going to be a part of it. It just played out as a scary, almost surreal event happening in slow motion. And I could see it in my mind. People are going to die. I was going to die. Uh, 
Less than 48 hours later, Jack was geared up and in the air over Cuba. He knew nothing about the other two men who were assigned to silos number one and number three. I don't know if that was by circumstance or choice or the way the directives failed. But he knew that in that very same moment, they were in their own helicopters, making the same journey he was. It's about 9 o'clock, 9 p.m., and I realized as we were flying up the coastline on the south side that this is probably going to be my last flight, that I'm not going to see anything or anybody after this. The co-pilot turned around and saluted. The crew member that was there with me, he and I shook hands, no words, we just shook hands and I somewhat locked on each other. And a moment later, the helicopter touched down. The door had already been opened and I was out the door onto the terrain. All I could hear was the whir of the engine going away. The helicopter was gone. And then in that just split moment of just overwhelming silence and darkness and the totality of being absolutely alone, that struck me big time. What in the world have I done? And then I thought, get into the woods, stupid. Don't sit here. I had my map, my compass. Jack had been dropped off about five miles away from silo number two. Now he needed to orient himself, find its exact location, and get as close to it as possible without being seen. I could line up several big trees in a row and walk from one to the other, crouching behind each one as I would move forward. They all were so tall. And it was just trees and more trees and more trees. In his mind, Jack went over the orders he was given. Do not, under any circumstances, be captured. Do not be caught. Suicide is the only way out. Be quiet, Chuck. Don't make any noise. Don't rattle any equipment. Be quiet as you possibly can be. And then I thought, well, if my heart would stop beating so loud, maybe nobody would hear me. Jack kept a steady pace, and after about three hours, the seemingly endless forest of trees finally came to an end. I could tell by the light opening up in the distance that I'm nearing this opening area. I looked forward and I spotted Silo 2 immediately. 
It actually reminded me of of an erector set that I had when I was a little boy. I could see trucks. I could see tents. I could see a multitude of people walking in a distance around the units. And I noticed off to my left-hand side, still in the tree line, but it looked like the like block building. The building looked old, dilapidated, but it was far enough away from the encampment for Jack to make a quick beeline for it through the trees without being seen. I climbed up on top of this building, and sure enough, it had a straight line of sight from the top to the top edge of this thing. The stylo number two. to myself, this is going to be my best location in order to put a light beam on the edge of that reflective piece of metal so that the pilot could make a more accurate bomb drop onto it. The one thing I needed to do now, though, was contact the ship and let them know I'm in position, and this was about to get scary. God, let me do a good job of this. Don't let me mess it up. So I got my radio out and as quiet as I could, I called the ship. Snake calling ghost. Snake in position for drill. Just a few minutes before 0200. I heard thunder calling on the radio. Thunder calling snake, stand by for drill. And a moment later, I could hear this. It would be an FAU Crusader bomb coming up from the south. Those things have a unique sound. It's like a cross between a whine and a whistle all at one time. And then I heard my radio come on. The pilot said, Thunder calling snake, light it up. From his crouched position, Jack pulled the trigger on his light beam rifle. It pierced the darkness and lit up the top round edge of the missile with a flash. He prayed that nobody was around to see it. And then I cut the light off, and I heard the airplane come over, and he was gone. The pilot came back on the radio and said, Thunder calling snake, 10-10. 10 meant that it was about as good as we could get. That was probably the first time in several days that I felt like I had done something right. We have to take a quick break, but trust me, you're going to want to find out what happened to Jack in the middle of those woods in Cuba. Now, judgment. We're back. 
right into Jack's story when last he left, Jack had dropped secretly into Cuba in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis, and he's charged with the enormous task of guiding a pilot to bomb a missile silo. Jack took a seat on the roof and leaned his back against the cinder block wall. The tree branches that hung right in front of him gave him some cover. So it was dark, cloudy, but yet there were still quite a few stars out. I waited and I waited. I don't think I ever closed my eyes at all. Jack occupied his mind by focusing on the task at hand. He had the light beam rifle propped up and ready to go. His radio sat by his lap, and he would occasionally touch his left pant pocket when he kept the small glass vial with the cyanide tablet inside in case he had to take himself out first. When you know that you're going to die, you don't know how you feel. Will you get a notice? Will, you, will it just show up? Will time just abruptly end for you? Will ghost call and say that he's coming to drop a bone? I had already purposed that I would count backwards from five and just see if I could get to one before everything quit. How in the world did a young man from High Point, North Carolina, wind up in such a place as this with such a just overwhelming responsibility? I'm going to hold the world in the crosshairs of this site and this trigger finger. It's, it's just an overwhelming thought, but knowing what was transpiring between our president and the Russian Premier Khrushchev, I wish they'd get their differences worked out before we're all gone. When daylight came, I could see the sun coming up and a little bit of mist burning off. You could see a little bit of activity picking up. And as I'm looking up the clearing a ways over to the right hand side my eyes sees someone walking towards me it looked like it was a young man in his late teens maybe early 20s and he was my worst fear and my worst nightmare if he came to within the left hand corner of this building I could not let him leave and alert people that I was right there at silo number two, four or five hundred yards away from it. I'm about to have a heart attack sitting here watching this unfold, but being purposed in what I was going to do, I actually had my knife in my hand because it kept looking more and more like this person is going to come down this direction. This person got almost to the tree line and stopped. 
literally turned around and started walking back the way he came. Why did they stop? I had no idea why he did that, but I was so thankful that he did. But then my thoughts took me to, did that fellow see my light this morning? That reflective beam off that silo. You talk about worry. Golly. I didn't know whether to shoot myself or take my cyanide tablet at that time. So I didn't know what to do. And I spent the next that afternoon waiting for Russian troops to come down and swarm the woods. But then the evening approached and nothing happened. And I'm quiet as a mouse. I'm I'm only using my eyes to move. I don't move my head. I just move my eyes from side to side. I think the one thing I learned is that I can't change anything. I'm just here. But I was scared to do it. I thought to myself, what is, what isn't, what did I do, what didn't I do, what could I have changed, who did I hurt, who did I insult, what could I have done better. But you can only plan to die for so long. So I kept wondering, well, let's go ahead and get this over with. Jack had only expected the mission to take all of 48 hours, but it was now his third night hiding out on the roof of this cinder block building. Just a little bit Just after midnight, I received a message from Gus that was the ship. And it was not our time to talk, so I knew something was going to happen. Ghost calling tonight. Abort mission. Return to LZ for pickup at 0430. And this is dark as can be tonight. So I just thought to myself, Lord, don't let me mess up on going back from here to there. Don't let me run into any enemies. Jack was too worried to feel any sort of relief. He scrambled down the old building as quietly as he could. He trekked through the forest of tall trees to the spot where he was first dropped off. And then he jumped into a helicopter that quickly whisked him away and delivered him back to the Shangri-La. Once there, the first thing the captain did was remind him that the details of this aborted mission are to remain top secret. And if I revealed any of this information, that I'd be subject to the penalties under law for it, life imprisonment or death, or both. It was a whole lot to carry. Jack held on to the secret for nearly 60 years. And then one day in the spring of one day in the after his 78th birthday, his son arrived at his door, carrying a huge cardboard box. And I looked at that thing as he come through the door, and I thought, 
my goodness, what has he got in that big of a box? My son looked at me and said, you're going to like this. Jackson carefully pulled out a hand-carved, one-of-a-kind model of the USS Shangri-La. I probably looked like an owl that somebody had just shined a flashlight into his eyes. And I sat there and I looked and I looked. The sides and the edges and the railing all had intricate little to scale windows and ladders. And I could just simply see me and my friends at the time running up and down these places. And it brought back just more memories that really just uh, left me in tears. It just all seemed to be like a, a puzzle that fell into place, and it seemed to me to say, okay, it's okay to talk about it. Go ahead. Still, Jack feels apprehensive talking about what happened. Reality is... Nobody's ever come along that I'm aware of and said these events of 1962 are declassified. But he says it's worth the risk. Yes, ma'am. Unequivocally worth the risk. And I would say in Navy words, aye, aye, sir. I guess that's one of the good benefits about being old is that just like sitting on a, a broken down rooftop in Cuba in 1962, I do have nothing to lose. I'm glad to get that off my chest. Jack Boyle, for reviewing his long Now, the original score for that piece by Leon Rigorto, the story was produced by Nancy Lopez. This is not the news. 
ways of the The history book with more names in it. I want to realize that that lightning bolt that got light. over your forehead didn't really come from a slip of the spot, and you would still, and you would still, still, still not be far as this is.
confuse the pins of nature's car are not necessary best views of generated productions and sponsors. This is nation talk. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. For the news. For the news. Bounty Pickup Mess is quicker and is two times more absorbent than ordinary brands. Bounty, the quicker pickup. On a budget? Try Bounty Essentials. It's Sunday, December 2nd. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. The passing of former President George H.W. Bush, who died this Friday at the age of 94, has prompted the nation to pause and reflect on the life of a man who served as our 41st president. Even the current president put a pause on the news during a meeting of world leaders in Argentina. We lost a president who truly was a wonderful person, a wonderful man, a great man. Uh, it really puts a damper on it, to be honest with you. We'll look back at the life and legacy of the man who was our 41st president and the father of the 43rd. His close friend and former Secretary of State James Baker will be with us, as well as former Vice President Dick Cheney, who served as President George H.W. Bush's Secretary of Defense. Plus, we'll look at the news of the week. How will developments in the cases against the president's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, and Mr. Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, affect the Russia investigation? The top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner, joins us. And we'll hear what happened and what didn't at that meeting with world leaders. It's all ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. Tributes and condolences from around the country and around the world are pouring in following the death of George H.W. Bush late Friday at his home in Houston, Texas. On Monday, his body will be flown on Air Force One here to Washington, where he will lie in state at the U.S. Capitol. A state funeral at Washington National Cathedral will take place on Wednesday, and then he will return to Texas, where he will be buried next to his wife Barbara and their daughter Robin. President Trump declared Wednesday a national day of mourning. That means the stock market and the federal government will be closed down in honor of the 41st president. Joining us now are former Face the Nation moderator and now CBS News contributor Bob Keeper and CBS This Morning co-host Nora O'Donnell. So good to have the both of you here as we look back at the life and legacy uh, of the man that we refer to as 41. Bob, I know you have taken a look there at his life. You know, Margaret, I think it's fair to say that George Herbert Walker Bush 
did nearly everything you could do in life and in politics in his 94 years. As a Navy pilot, he was shot down in combat during World War II. He founded a successful business, had six kids, was a congressman, ambassador to the UN, head of the CIA, and our first envoy to China. And in 1980, he was ready to go for the big prize, the presidency. He got off to a great start. He won the Iowa caucuses. I interviewed him the morning after, and frankly, I couldn't figure out what he was talking about. We will have forward Big Mo on our side, as they say in athletics. Big Mo? Yeah. Mo momentum. Unfortunately for Bush, Ronald Reagan reorganized his campaign, and Bush's Big Mo became Little Mo, and Reagan rolled to the nomination. But in a move that surprised everyone, he chose Bush as his running mate. Bush became the ideal vice president for eight years, doing what vice presidents do. Like a minor character in a play passing across the stage on errands that had little to do with the plot. He ran for president when Reagan left office, but his campaign got off to a terrible start. George Bush was a nice man, modest, kind, a man who actually wrote thank you notes. Trouble was, some mistook niceness for weakness. The question, are you tough enough, was asked of him repeatedly. I equate toughness with moral fiber, with character, with principle, with demonstrated leadership in tough jobs where you emerge, not bullying somebody, but with the respect of the people you led. That's toughness. That's fiber. That's character. I've got it, and if I happen to be decent in the process, that should not be a liability. The one-time fighter pilot found himself depicted on the cover of Newsweek magazine as a wimp. To change his image in New Hampshire, he traded the coat and tie for a tractor and a windbreaker and drove every piece of heavy machinery he could find. It worked. He won the Republican nomination and made two promises. First, read my lips. And second, an administration based on American values. I want a kinder and gentler nation. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations. Bush beat Michael Dukakis in a landslide, but by that time, the world beyond our shores was changing. The Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union was imploding. Because of his temperament and long experience in foreign policy, Bush kept belligerency and boasting down, and the situation cooled. And in 1990, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, Bush put together a remarkable multinational coalition that drove him back to his own borders. Bush's popularity went through the roof, and his re-election was a foregone conclusion. But as the nation's deficit ballooned, he bit the bullet and raised taxes. The move worked, and the economy got better, but many Republicans never forgave him breaking his no-new-taxes promise, and he lost the 92 election in a three-way race with Ross Perot and Bill Clinton. In time, he saw son George and Jeb elected to governorships, and George as our 43rd president. George H.W. Bush George. the most modest man ever to hold the presidency. His proudest legacy, he always said, was that his kids, 
still came home to see him. And his greatest achievement was marrying Barbara, who died earlier this year after 73 years of marriage. Oh, I love that look back. Uh, Nora, I know that you spent time with H.W.'s son, George W. Bush, our 43rd president, uh, and some of that will be airing tonight on 60 Minutes. Let's take a look. You said that watching his presidency and the criticism that he got as president helped you. Yeah, I did, because first of all, being the child of a president, being the child of a president I mean, you watch somebody you love get lampooned, made fun of, or harshly criticized, it hurts. Uh, and so by the time I became president, you know, I had a, a, a fair amount of asbestos <laughs> on my skin. And it didn't hurt nearly as much, it turns out. You know? Like fire retardant? Exactly, fire retardant. <laughs> Did it bother your father to see you criticized while you were in office? Yeah, <laughs> it did. In the end, though, you know, we both knew that's part of the job. I mean, which is actually good, you know, for the country. I mean, you want your powerful people to be held up to scrutiny. When you look back at your father's term in office as president, yeah. he starts to many people look better and better. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> uh, that's the way time works. <laughs> and Nora, I know you spoke with other former presidents. I mean, so few people can even begin to uh, relate to what it's like to be in the Oval Office. What did you learn from some of these former? Well, tonight on 60 Minutes, you will hear from three former presidents, a rare occurrence in itself. Um, and from George W. Bush, his son, there is not only a reverence for his father, but I think the point he tries to make is that we are mourning something greater than one man in some ways. We are mourning an ideal because uh, President George H.W. Bush was the last of the greatest generation, a man who in every one of his decisions put country above himself. John Meacham has said that too, his biographer, that in every one of those decisions, he tried to choose the country first, all of the decision to raise taxes, which ultimately cost him his own reelection and arguably led to a fracturing of the Republican Party that has lasted until today. But in George W. Bush, he talks, too, about the decisions his father made, um, you know, talking about reshaping global world order, one of the most consequential presidents in American history. So, and there's some fun stories that have never been told before that you'll hear as well tonight. Bob, you were telling me something similar to what Nora just picked up on there, that you, you saw H.W. Uh, as a public servant more than a politician, per se. Well, he was a much better public servant that he was a politician because he was part of his upbringing. His mother had brought him up saying, we never say achievements. Uh, that's just something yeah, that Bush do. So it was always hard uh, for George H.W. Bush to make his own case because he thought it, uh, it reflected the He also suffered enormous loss in his life. Mm -hmm. Multiple occasions, yes. you know, he was the youngest but in the Navy. He that haunted him for his entire life. He lost his daughter at the age of three. He lost his first two Senate races. He lost the presidency. There are so many losses throughout his life that I think many people can relate to having own losses in life. But how did he deal with those losses, that resilience? But also, I think, shaped in some ways his humility. Mm -hmm. Bob, knew the Bush family for decades. What was he like as a person? He was just a nice person. I mean, if, if you would be around 
him. Uh, he'd say, how about a cup of coffee? Or, you know, I mean, he was, he was just, uh, just a regular guy. And his uh, son was very much like him. I, I was uh, listening to, to Nora's uh, interview there. You know, presidents come under fire. And when George Bush would come under fire, people say, oh, it's too bad. And, and you know what he said? He said, nobody asked me to run for office. I decided to do this. This is part of it. Bob, Nora, thanks to both of you. We will see you later in the show. And be sure to tune in for 60 minutes for more of your George W. Bush, also here, as she said, from former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama on George H.W.'s legacy. We turn now to President George H.W. Bush's longtime friend, Secretary of State James Baker, who joins us from the Baker Institute in Houston this morning. My condolences, sir. I know you were dear friends uh, with the former president, and you were with him in those final moments, knowing him as you did for so many years. Uh, can you tell us what you took away in those last moments? What is left with you in terms of your memory of him? Well, he was—he uh, was—he uh, had great uh, faith uh, in God. He was uh, a religious person who didn't wear his religion on his sleeve, but he was a man of great faith. He was a family man. He asked uh, of your, uh, in your lead-in, someone said, one of the things he said he was proud of was that his children came home, and he was proud of that. He was, uh, he was a selfless, uh, patriotic uh, servant of the United States of America for many, many years. Uh, and he was one who did not believe in taking credit. He was one who believed uh, in letting other people get the credit. He was courageous, courageous enough to run for president when nobody knew who he was. He was asked in the polls. He jumped into that race in 1980. He ended up beating such more popular political figures as John Conley and Howard Baker and Bob Dole and others and had to become the last man standing with Ronald Reagan and therefore uh, ended up being his vice president. So he was, he was a man of great capacity. He was a man of great uh, uh, tenderness and sensitivity. He was, as someone said, the last gentleman that we've had as president. Why was it so important to you to be by his side in those last moments? Well, it was important to me to be by his side because we've been friends for 60 years. That's a fairly uh, long period of time. We, we were doubles partners together uh, here in Houston. We won uh, tennis championships. Uh, I knew him uh, well before he ever even got into politics when he was a businessman. He was my, da he was, uh, my daughter's godfather. Uh, I ran every one of his uh, campaigns for president. We were very, very close. He referred to me oftentimes as his best friend. He said our relationship was one of big brother, little brother, which uh, was a great honor as far as I was concerned. Which one were so you? I, I was the little brother, and I was very, very happy for, for uh, George H.W. Bush to refer to me as his little brother. And we were extremely close, uh, Margaret, and uh, from, from the very, almost from the very time we met back in 1958, uh, for almost 60 years. I was there when he passed, 
His passing was very, very peaceful, gentle, if you will. Uh, there, were, there were a number of things that I remember about it. He, uh, he, the, the caregivers, uh, I, I, went, I went to see him on a Friday morning. I hadn't seen him for a while. He'd had three bad days. I went to check on him after a run. And uh, and one of the caregivers said, Mr. President, Secretary Baker's here. And he, he looked up at me, opened both eyes, looked at me and said, Jim, where are we going? And I said, well, uh, Heffy, because that's what I called him, Heffy, which is Spanish for chief. I said, well, Heffy, we're going to heaven. That's where I want to go. And uh, then as he began to to, move, to go downhill, they, they got all of his children on uh, the telephone, only one of them was able to be with him at the time, his son Neil. They got the others on the telephone, and they were all able to tell their father how much they loved him and to say goodbye. And his the very last words, the very last words he spoke, were spoken to uh, George W. Bush, President Bush 43, who had told him how much he loved him and that he would see him on the other side. And 41 said, I love you too. And that was about 40 minutes before he passed away. He kept his sense of humor, Margaret, right <laughs> up until the very end. My wife Susan was there with me, and uh, at one point she went over and put her hand on his forehead, and she said, we love you very much, Effie. And he cocked one eye open and said, better hurry. <laughs> so, so he was... He was his sense of humor was intact right up to the very his his passing was really very peaceful, no struggling, no no pain at all. Well, Secretary Baker, thank you very much for sharing so much of the personal side. Uh, I know you were a key part of helping to shape his foreign policy legacy and so much of his time in office. Thank you for sharing all those intimate details. Thank you, Margaret. We'll be back with another key official from the Bush administration, his former Secretary of Defense, Dick Cheney. He's standing by with us. We'll hear from him in just one moment. Imagine a friend has just told you they were diagnosed with a mental illness. What would you do? Even more awkward is if you're not there for them, they'll be less likely to recover. Mental illness, what a difference a friend makes. To learn more, go to whatadifference.org. This message is brought to you by the Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Welcome back to Face the Nation. Joining us now is former Vice President Dick Cheney, who served as Defense Secretary to President H.W. Bush. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, we just heard so much of, of who 41 was as a person. Uh, in terms of his legacy for the country, he was in office at such a tremendous time of change in the world, of upheaval. You were at the Pentagon at that time. How do you think uh, the fact that he was part of that generation? A World War II vet that he had in combat. How did all of that come together to inform his role uh, and in shaping foreign policy? Well, I think the nation was lucky to have him uh, at that time. I say last 
World War II veteran. And uh, we also, there were just remarkable demands in place during those four years. Think about the end of the Cold War. Think about the Union going out of business. Um, the um, uh, unification of Germany. Uh, the uh, uh, liberation, if you will, of all of the former states in, uh, in Eastern Europe. Um, big, big changes that uh, the situation had existed since the World War II to the Cold War. And um, all of a sudden, it ends. And he was in exactly the right spot, and that happened, uh, especially because he understood that uh, partly what was needed was to manage the U.S. reaction, that there was a way, if you, you overdid it, if, uh, say, people were dancing on the Berlin Wall, um, you could get into a situation where you'd make it tougher for Gorbachev to do what we wanted him to do, uh, which was end the Cold War. And uh, the president was masterful. But, uh, shaping that relationship uh, was the uh, Secretary of Defense. My interest from the, the secretarial standpoint was I wanted to get military attaches and all of those embassies established in all those former Soviet states. Um, the president made sure we didn't go too fast. We didn't want to be in a position where we were uh, embarrassing, if you will, Gorbachev. And it would wait a few months in some of those cases to get it done. Um, but he was, um, he, and then his leadership of the Gulf War was, was really remarkable. Um, I know Secretary Baker has talked about, as president, he was able to balance America's national interests along with our shared values. Sometimes those things are described as being in uh, competition with each other. How do you think he was able to balance those? And, and is that something that we've lost? Well, he had this <clears throat> rare combination of 58 combat missions in World War II, shot down over the Pacific, rescued uh, by an American submarine, came obviously very close to it. Um, and uh, at the same time, his tremendous background um, in uh, diplomacy, the United Nations, ambassador to China, uh, he had a, a set of relationships. I can remember the first weekend of the Gulf crisis, he sent me out to get permission from uh, Saudi Arabia and Egypt for the deployment of U.S. forces. Uh, I turned around, I'd finished that, headed back, and he called me and said, no, we've got to stop in Morocco because he just got an old of the king of Morocco and uh, wanted me to stop in and brief him and sign the Moroccans up. He was the, the best desk officer we ever had at the State Department because <laughs> he knew all these folks. Very involved in the details. Be involved in the details both with the use of the military as well as in the uh, the diplomacy, but on the, on the military side of it, he was um, he was a great boss because uh, he basically give you your head. Told me to go run the Defense Department, mm -hmm. four million people. In mm -hmm. And uh, how different was it since you have such an unusual experience of having worked for both 41 and mm -hmm. 43? How different were father and son? Well, there there were differences there, no question about it. But um, especially there were differences in the time. Uh, it was only you know eight years apart from the end of the first Bush administration and beginning of the second. Um, but there had been some remarkable changes during that period of time. One of the things that had happened was 9/11, mm -hmm. and we'd been hit and lost 3,000 Americans on 9/11. Um, uh, that was a, a big event between made things different in um, uh, 43's day than what they'd done in 41's day. Did that change your relationship with 41? Um, no, not really. Um, he. Uh, at one point, I was accused of uh, becoming, he used a phrase, 
iron ass. And he used that language that I'd changed from when I was Secretary of Defense working for him to when I was Vice President working for his son. And, uh, You're smiling at that. Well, <laughs> I can laugh about it. Um, laugh. After he'd done it, uh, I got a note yep. from him saying, Dear Dick, I did it. And then he went on to say nice things. Uh, that year when the Alpha, Alpha dinner was held here in Washington, mm -hmm. um, he arranged for me to be uh, right. right next to him at the head table. And he wanted to make sure there was no uh, perpetual uh, aggravation there at all between 41 and myself. That's quite the, the personal anecdote there. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Vice President, for joining us and sharing your memories. Thank you, Margaret. Up next, we're going to be talking about that bombshell development in the Russia investigation that President Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, lied to Congress. Top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee, Virginia's Mark Warner, is here to tell us what that means. Welcome back. We are remembering the life and legacy of the 41st president, and we'll have continuing coverage on all CBS platforms throughout the week as the country mourns the former president. And we'll be back here on Face the Nation with much more of the week that was. This portion of Face the Nation is sponsored by Chevron. <laughs> We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Sponsored by Pfizer. When he passed away, the 41st president of the United States, George Herbert Walker Bush, was 94. His one term in office began in 1989 and coincided with the end of the Cold War with the Soviet Union. You're about to hear from three former presidents, a rare occurrence in and of itself, discuss the life and legacy of George H.W. Bush. In recent interviews, Barack Obama, Clinton, and George W. Bush all acknowledged number 41 was one of the best prepared presidents in American history. Before becoming commander-in-chief, he was a fighter pilot an oilman, a congressman, a diplomat, head of the CIA, and Ronald Reagan's vice president for two terms. He was also married to Barbara Bush for 73 years until her death this past April. Together, they had six children. We begin tonight with their eldest son, President George W. Bush, and what his father taught him about the highest office in the land. The story will continue in a moment. I'm Ray, and I quit smoking with Chantix. I tried to quit smoking for years on my own. I couldn't do it. I needed help. For me, Chantix worked. It Chantix, along with support, helps you quit smoking. Chantix, without a doubt, reduces the to smoke. 
When you try to quit smoking, with or without Chantix, you may have nicotine withdrawal symptoms. Some people had changes in behavior or thinking, aggression, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, or suicidal thoughts or actions with Chantix. Serious side effects may include seizures, new or worse heart or blood vessel problems, sleepwalking, or allergic and skin reactions, which can be life-threatening. Stop Chantix and get help right away if you have any of these. Tell your health care provider if you've had depression or other mental health problems. Decrease alcohol use while taking Chantix. Use caution when driving or operating machinery the most common side effect is nausea i don't think about cigarettes anymore talk to your doctor about chantix sponsored by pfizer the morning of november 8th a massive wildfire tore through California mountain communities in northern Sacramento. Because it started near Camp Creek Road, it was called the Campfire. The cause is still under investigation. But within a couple of hours, it devoured the town of Paradise, population 27,000. About 95% of Paradise was Its smaller neighbors, Concal and Miguel, were all until now, the last fire in California's country was the worst on record in the state. The Federal Climate Report released last month warns increasing extreme heat and drought conditions could make future wildfires even worse. Tonight, we'll take you into the campfire and show you what the fire saw. That video and the destruction had us wondering how anything could be worse. The story will continue in a moment. I'm Ray, and I quit smoking with Chantix. I tried cold turkey, I tried the patch, they didn't work for me. I didn't think anything was gonna work for me until I tried Chantix. Chantix, along with support, helps you quit smoking. Chantix reduced my urge to smoke. Uh, I needed that to quit. When you try to quit smoking, with or without Chantix, you may have nicotine withdrawal symptoms. Some people had changes in behavior or thinking, aggression, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, or suicidal thoughts or actions with Chantix. Serious side effects may include seizures, new or worse heart or blood vessel problems, sleepwalking, or allergic and skin reactions, which can be life-threatening. Stop Chantix and get help right away if you have any of these. Tell your health care provider if you've had depression or other mental health problems. Decrease alcohol use while taking Chantix. Use caution when driving or operating machinery. The most common side effect is nausea. I can't tell you how good it feels to have something behind me. Talk to your doctor about Chantix. Hey, a uh, quick question. Do you like paying for things you don't need? No. And do you want to get things you love for free? Who would? Exactly. Right. Apple Music. He gets it. He gets it. Get six months free Apple Music on the network you deserve. I'm Jeff Lord, and we are reporting tonight from preparations are underway to honor former President George H.W. Bush, a man who played a role in so many of the most important events of the 20th century, from World War II, the collapse of the Soviet Union, 
He died late Friday at 94. Today, a presidential plane, often used as Air Force One, arrived in Houston to bring Mr. Bush to Washington, where he will lie in state beginning tomorrow. A state funeral will be held on Wednesday. In Kenny Bunkport, Maine, neighbors placed flowers outside the Bush family summer home. In Houston, passerby spent a quiet moment at a statue of the 41st president. A portrait of Mr. Bush took up the front page of the Houston Chronicle today. Houston was his adopted hometown. Bianca Golitrika begins from there. One day after the passing of the nation's 41st president, flag flew at half-staff. From Sacramento, California to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to Kenny Bunkport, Maine, where Mr. Bush spent his summers. Makeshift memorials, like one near the family's coastal compound at Walker's Point, grew all day. He was a great president, a great human being, mm -hmm. um, which probably is why he was in politics so long. He, he was just a good guy. Today, lawmakers of all political persuasions remembered Mr. Bush as a devoted career public servant, a decent man who put the interests of the country ahead of self. Democrat and former Vice President Joe Biden had to say. Never, never, never was it about him. It was always about somebody else. Fellow Texan James Baker, once the president's secretary of state, but also among his closest friends, was with the president in his final hours. He looked up at me over the old time. He looked at me and said, Jim, where are we going? I said, well, we're going to heaven. He said, that's where I want to go. Then Neil Bush, the former president's fourth of six children, reflected on his father's life finding comfort in his belief that his parents would soon be reunited. I want people to remember him for, for his kindness, for, I'm sorry, for his love, for his, he leaned in everything he did with love. Jeff Bush Hager wrote of a recent conversation with her grandfather in which they discussed the afterlife. I used to worry about death, she said, he told her, but now in some ways, I look forward to it. There's some incredible The president's pastor for more than a decade, the Reverend Dr. Russell Levinson, Jr., rector of St. Martin's Episcopal Church, was among those with the former president. Can you talk about that moment Friday night? He went on the slide for the next, and uh, it is the way I think I would want to lead this life. Uh, surrounded by the ones you love, completely at peace and ready for what? Incidentally, Reverend Levinson was also with First Lady Barbara Bush the moment she died back in April of this year. As for what happens next, the president's body will be flown tomorrow on a government 747 to Washington, D.C., where he will lie in state at the U.S. Capitol Rotunda through Wednesday. He will then be flown back here to St. Martin's Church Thursday for a private funeral service, and then finally buried. And finally buried. His beloved wife, Barbara. Jeff. Oh, okay, Viana, thank you very oh. much. And CBS News will have live coverage. And oh, is flown to Washington tomorrow for a public viewing at the U.S. Capitol. Our coverage US. begins with CBS this morning. This morning. Hey, Joy. Hey, Joy. Hey, what's the worst part about paying for things you don't want? Uh, paying. Exactly. Uh, and what's the best part about getting things you do want for free? Exactly. That's why Verizon decided everyone in the family should get these. And uh, 
In fact, uh, we know that very personally, my wife and I. Because in, uh, in 2001, when we were able, he was a former president then, but we were able to go to Ukraine. We were have been freed in large part from uh, communist control because of the efforts of Ronald Reagan, Bush's predecessor, and Bush. We were able to adopt two young children from Ukraine. And Bush found out about it. Kids were nine months and 21 months old. When we got back to the United States, we found two uh, letters in our mailbox, and they were addressed to our young children. And it was George Bush welcoming them to the United States. And in it, he said, I used to be the president of the United States. Now I want to be your friend. That was George H. George Bush. Oh, incredible. Uh, he had a signature way of writing his speeches. He would not allow you to use the word I. Why is that, Kurt? <laughs> because he was a man of extraordinary modesty. Here we are in a very uh, immodest age. And his modesty shone like a carillon in the night. Um, his mother, Dorothy, was the disciplinarian in the family. And Bush loved baseball, as do I. And at about age or eight or nine, he hit a couple of home runs, and he came back to the family, and he told his, mo his mother, Dorothy, boy, what a great day I had. And his mother looked at him and said, she used the words of a great him to make her point. And she said, now, George, none of this, how great thou art business. And George H. W. Bush I dealt with immodest once in his life from that time on. He would never brag, for example, ever about his war record, even though he was a bona fide hero. None of his age, they were instructed never to brag about his, uh, his war record. Uh, or even to brag about the fact that he had a spectacular resume. And, and Elaine, you were mentioning some of the... Uh, of the aspects of it. Very probably he had the greatest resume of any person running for president ever to become president. So he taught us, I think, a great deal about how to conduct ourselves. I remember saying, and I do mean this, that he was such a spectacular father, uh, among his other traits, that if I were to become dad, that George Bush um, became, I would be one happy father. Sadly, I haven't made it yet, and I may have The gum collection from Crest. From Crest. My gums are irritating. I don't have to worry about that. Actually, you do. Harmful bacteria lurk just below the gum line. Crest Gum Detoxify works below the gum line to neutralize harmful plaque bacteria and help reverse early gum damage. And now there's new Crest Gum Detoxify. It gives you clinically proven healthier gums and helps repair and strengthen in enamel. Gum Detoxify and Gum and Enamel Repair from Crest. Hey, uh, quick question. Do you like paying for things that you don't need? And do you want to get things you love for free? Well, what? Exactly. Right. Dad, uh, Apple Music. He gets it. This guy gets it. Get six months free Apple Music on the network you deserve. <laughs> For more insight into this week's political news, we're joined now by Jeffrey Goldberg, Editor-in-Chief of Atlantic, plus David Samara, and Sungmin Kim, both of whom cover the White House. David from uh, the Washington Post, Sungmin uh, from Capitol Hill, uh, D.C. Uh, Sungmin, 
we just spoke to Mark Warner on Senate Mark. Intelligence, sort of making sense of, of how he sees the decision uh, for Michael Cohen to plead guilty to lying to Congress. This is not a crime that is very often prosecuted. Uh, how is the decision to move ahead to be seen on Capitol Hill? Is this tightening the uh, probe uh, more closely around the president, or is this Prosecution. Well, what I think is really interesting about the charge that Michael Cohen pleaded guilty to over the week, lying to Congress, is remember that a lot of people have oh. talked to Congress throughout the course of all these Russia investigations. Uh, the the panel that have been investigating the Russia issues have been House Intelligence Committee, the Senate Intel Committee, which Warner is the is one of the heads of, and the Senate Judiciary Committee. And there are a lot of characters who have given a lot of different statements to Congress. And what I found really stark, in addition to Senator Warner's comments on your show, was what Senator Burr, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, said um, just on Friday at a forum in Texas. And he said, if you lie to Congress, we're going to come after you. And he says the committee is constantly reviewing testimony of the of, that they had gotten over the last year, looking for referrals to the special counsel. So that's a pretty big hit to us that we should continue to watch what Mueller is up to. And, and Senator Warner said a number of referrals have been made, suggesting he's not the only Trump associate to have lied to Congress. No, you know, one of the amazing you know, things is that we're all, the country, the world, even waiting for the Mueller report. We're getting the Mueller report. Every day he's, he's, he's writing the report for us through the uh, investigations, through these information, through these, uh, through these prosecutions. Uh, I think I was just on the Hill uh, this week asking a number of uh, Democrats uh, how aggressive they think this is going to get. Um, they think it's going to get extraordinarily aggressive, and we're going to be entering a whole new phase where the subpoenas are going to be coming flying fast and furious, and the fights between the White House and Congress over who can, who will be able to testify is going to be ferocious. I mean, you're already seeing it even in other places. I mean, that you're seeing uh, anger from the Hill about um, the administration's cooperation or lack thereof in Greenville the murder of uh, the journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had um, uh, two senior officials go to the Hill, uh, Mattis and Pompeo, uh, and deliver some sort of a briefing about what the administration knows about this. Well, the CIA director was not there. Uh, and so you're already seeing uh, Lindsey Graham and others, uh, even on the Republican side, being upset about uh, this administration and, and they're, them trying to do oversight. So I think, right. and if Trump loses Lindsey Graham on this, you know how the rest of the, the Hill is going to take this. Well, uh, I, I want to come to one of the other disputes on the Hill, which is uh, Republican Senator Jeff Flake this week. He got a lot of flack from fellow Republicans for his decision to hold his vote basically hold it hostage until there is some sort of hearing for this bill to protect the special counsel from being fired. Many Republicans say this is a lost cause. Why is Jeff Flake pushing this when Republicans will never let this go to a vote? Well, this is just kind of his last power since he's going out of, since he's leaving out for a few weeks, but he has felt, um, he has told us several times that he has felt increasingly concerned about the fate of the Mueller probe, uh, particularly triggered by the appointment of Matt Whitaker as the acting attorney general. We know Mr. Whitaker has had public comments before his current position that respects the Mueller probe. Um, mostly all Democrats share that concern as well. Um, but we, I've been asking some Republican sources, why not just give Jeff Flake the quote or the vote so he can or move on? You guys can vote on all of Exactly. You guys can vote on all of your This would be a very difficult a very... People say don't want to reward bad behavior on Capitol Hill. But 
sometimes that works, and also it's going to be a difficult vote for a lot of Republicans, and they want to avoid that. I want to ask you about your organization's reporting, your though, on this issue as well, because Jeff Flake was blamed okay, for uh, blocking I, a certain federal judge from moving ahead. Uh, it's really not just all about Jeff Flake on this one particular issue, right? You had uncovered some reporting yeah. on Thomas Farr. Exactly. Uh, so Thomas exactly. Farr was up for a federal judgeship in North Carolina. He had worked for uh, Jesse Holmes, the former Jesse Holmes, uh, Senator Jesse Holmes in 84. In and we at the Washington Post uncovered a old DOJ memo earlier this week that a lot of senators, a growing number of um, Senator Tim Scott, yeah, who Senator Tim Scott vote against the nominee, but other senators as well that said it raises well, questions okay. about whether this nominee, Thomas Farr, had any knowledge or involvement in his effort to disenfranchise black voters in North Carolina during the 1990 campaign. So it shows a couple of things. First of all, that while Trump has had a lot of success in transforming the judiciary in a conservative right. fashion, still running into a lot running of in because of the types of nominees. Because that of the two, the Senate very narrow majority in the Republican Senate, so one person really does have a lot of power here. David, the president, in leaving Argentina, the, leaving gathering of the, world 20, uh, the G20, gathering of world leaders, has said it was a major success in coming to agreement with Xi Jinping. What was actually agreed to? I think it's a more limited success. More um, limited. It did avert a, you know, something of a potential, you know, I don't think it has to, but, uh, you know, next level of the trade war with China because uh, new tariffs could go have gone into effect at the beginning of next year, uh, but they seem to have reported uh, that they for 90 days. They basically said they're going to have a trade, sort of a temporary ceasefire on these tariffs. Ceasefire. Uh, the president will not raise uh, the not raise from 10% to 25%, something China really didn't want to happen. Return China will need to buy goods and uh, to declare fentanyl as a uh, controlled substance, something the president really wants to sort of show that he was making uh, inroads in his war to sort of deal with the opioid crisis. But um, I think more, more you know, deeper analysis shows that these intrinsic problems between U.S. and China on trade are not going away. And to say that it could happen within 90 days is somewhat unrealistic. It's something that's going on for years now. It does seem, though, that he's blamed a little bit. There's a lot of bluster about China. And then when push comes to shove, here we are. But he was generally or uncharacteristically subdued, I think, at the G20, which is to say there were no, uh, he signed on to the statement, there were no outbreaks. The drama was with uh, Putin and Mohammed Salman, the Saudi crown prince. There was no associated drama. He was, if you didn't know better, you would didn't know better following a, a playbook uh, written by more traditional presidents in multilateral settings. And I just found that noteworthy. He canceled a press conference. And said, you know, the, the, the eulogies to... Uh, George H. W. Bush uh, as well. But, you know, I think um, you know, the president is feeling pressure on trade. Um, the announcement from GM to lay off 15,000 people. Uh, other, you know, sort of stock market uh, volatility we've seen over the last couple months has, has worried the White House. This is something, obviously, the economy. Uh, you know, they're one of their biggest focuses uh, as he starts to enter his re-election campaign. Right. It's a successful economy. The president says he's not being given credit. Sigmund, uh, how easy will it be to get this new NAFTA, the USMCA, as the president's branding it? through. Not easy at <laughs> all. Um, I just started looking through states of what senators have said on this deal. You have Elizabeth Warren saying it doesn't have enough protections for workers. You have Senator Pat Toomey, as free trade as you can be, saying it doesn't. he doesn't like uh, these provisions involving investor protections in that new agreement. And you have Senator Rubio also saying this deal is going to really hurt Florida's uh, seasonal vegetable grower industry. So there's a lot of uh, uh, broader philosophical concerns 
the parochial concerns. Um, and so, you know, the administration is going to have to really twist arms here right. or work out a lot of side deals very quickly. Has the government shutdown been averted? Check back in with us on Friday. <laughs> we'll see. You never say that. Exactly. The president had hinted possibly he might sign off on, on something that would buy a bit more time and deference to allow those to uh, mourn the passing of uh, Bush 41. But we will see. That is the safe bet in Trump's Washington. Let's see what happens. Hey, a uh, quick question. Do you like paying for things that you don't need? No. To buy your home, you became a house hunting ace. Learned about loans, scoured neighborhoods, and asked the right questions. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, this is Reba McIntyre, and I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about a serious problem right here in our own backyard. Did you know that there are nearly 16 million kids struggling with hunger in America? That's one out of every five precious children in this country who might not get to eat dinner tonight. But hope is just around the bend because there's enough healthy, nutritious food produced in this country to put a smile on the face of every last hungry kid. And that's when the Feeding America Nationwide Network of Food Banks steps into the picture. They collect surplus food, engaging their communities in solving hunger and giving hope to the hungry kids and their families. But they need your help. So join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank. Find out how you can help at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. All right, we're back to wrap this up. Um, tonight we've been hearing, tonight we've been doing uh, some news, especially uh, about President um, Bush and uh, So we're going. Yep. Mike. Yo. That was a long story on him, man. That was nice. Yeah. It it had um it's a lot of um uh details about him. Okay. Uh, some of the stories I heard <laughs> from his son. Um, w, it's some funny stories about him. Well, that's all right, though. Yep, ninety-four years old. He made he made his mark, man. Yep, he did. At the well, he, well, he died. He died. He died Friday. Okay. He's gonna make a mark like that. Yep. See, so he died Friday. A deacon of ours. Died day after that, that morning, uh, oh, yeah. Saturday morning, yeah. He was 90, 
I think he was about 93, 94. Someone about the same age as Bush. Oh, yeah? Hmm. Mm-hmm. He was our elder deacon. He passed away um, yesterday morning. When, uh, don't know any details yet. I'm sure. Uh, I know I am going definitely, definitely um, going to attend. One thing I didn't know, that the same thinking he's related to me. I had no idea. <laughs> I had the, the earthless idea that he was related to me until my late aunt um, told me about it. Those two were just, just talking about it. I'm going, she said, uh, One of your relatives, huh? Yeah. All right. Now. Yeah. It was a, it was a humble, a, a very humble honor to that to actually have him see him at least in my lifetime. Beautiful. Yeah, it, it's a. Uh, it is uh, uh, this week's going to be a week of of honor, respect for these um, for this great American and presidents. Wonder what happens to the audio. But you know what? Oh, speaking of audio, uh, it sounded much better now than it was when it first started. It do? It do? Oh, Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> wow. Wow. Almost like a new new, new system. Okay. okay. I'm... I'm- I'm still, I'm still tweaking, tweaking it and trying to find out what to do. I'm doing what I can. Still got a little, got a little echo, but not as bad as it was at first. Yeah. Yeah. I still, I still, I still have work on it. <laughs> All right, now. I'm, 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 I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. With those, with those boards. boards. You know what? Small, I'm looking small. at it. It's probably it's probably in your in your speaker. In your microphone, yeah, I mean. Yeah. It could be. It could be. Because um, um I, I, now, now the it's computer, the computer, computer is computer is Oh, but the, the oh, audio for the, the computer, it's all, but, all but, but it's, I got it off, got it off manually, manually on, the, on my, on my, um, uh, um, 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 speaker. Um, well, it's beginning to vibrate now. Oh, good. Because I was, I was, I was hoping, hoping you'd be able to hear the... Hear 
hear the um hear the um the, the presentation the, today. Presentation uh, today. Uh, oh. Ooh. Are you gonna do that tonight? Huh? Huh? I said you were gonna do that tonight. Uh uh no. 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 Next week. Next week. I'm going I'm to tackle going just. To that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm. 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 Reading it. But it's it's but an article it's Time an magazine. Article Time magazine. Who gets to be, who gets to be, be American? Be American. What's that again? <laughs> Who gets to be? Who gets to be the American? The American. And it's an wow. interesting it's story. Interesting it's from a it's from young man who's from, from Vietnam. And he tell he, 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 he writes this essay writes about, this about, it. about it. Interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. And remind us of all of you, for everybody, Toys for Tots are collecting toys as new you last year, toys for Tots program fulfilled Christmas holiday dreams of 7 million children in need. Sadly, we ran out of toys before we ran out of children. Help us deliver a message of hope by donating the toys for tots. Or you can visit their website at toysfortots.org. Toysfortots.org. And give a child a Christmas gift. This Christmas. And you're going to be on, on Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, yeah, I'll be on, no, Monday. This week. Monday. 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 Tomorrow. Monday. Uh, we're doing a uh, special, start doing a special uh, fall, fall uh, messages, fall harvest messages, but doing for the holiday season. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to try to do a message every day except for Sunday. Because on Sunday, uh, I'm with this person uh, on uh, one of the uh, platforms. Is it on talk show? Okay. okay. A, a friend of mine have a, a podcast uh, program, so I reserve Sundays to be on the air with him. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. That sounds good. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> we're, 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 we're going to do we're going to do, do this was the next, the next week. week I did a I did a Christmas program last night oh, okay. Oh, okay 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 so I'll probably do a couple more Christmas programs like not really Christmas Christmas but to implement the Christmas into inspiration. Okay. Okay. 
Because we, 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 I, I know this week we're going to do Nation Talk, and then next week we're going to do Nation Talk on the third Sunday. Uh, on the fourth Sunday, we're going to be on the fourth Sunday. We're going to be on the fourth Sunday. We're going to be back until January after that. We have two yeah, more, programs. more programs, and then yeah, we're going to take, 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 take a break until January. January. That I'm not going to play from Nation Talk in its place during that during what, while the hyenas. Can you record a program and then have it played on as a recorder? Yeah, we call it live, and then I go back and I go back to the archives and I find uh, find some old programs. Okay, I may play I may play, I, I play some um, old nation talk all up to the new year. Then be back by the first or even second Sunday in in January. Wow, okay. Sounds good. Sounds... So you're just going to put us down for a few, for a couple of days, huh? Yeah, for just yeah, a, few for weeks. a few weeks. Yeah, that's all right. But, we, we, can but, you for, we can miss you for a few weeks. But, 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 but you may hear some old, old nation talk programs. Do that time. Ah. Okie dokie. The where? Ah. Ah. I thought you said something about Kentucky. No, no. Okie dokie. Oh, okie dokie. Okay, okay. I got you. All right, sir. Okie dokie. Yeah. Well, until well, next week. Until next week. Thanks for, thanks for being thanks with us. Thanks for being with us. All you. right, you. you too. Take care and be blessed, man. All right, you too. All right, you too. Okay, then. Bye now. And what that and and. and no, you, no, you. You have been listening, have been listening to, to Nation Talk. From the fans in the program, we air the air nights at 8 p.m. We Next week, Next week, who gets to, who be, gets to be American? American? Good question. Good question. Talk we'll talk that. about that, too. But then the following week, we'll, 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 we'll wrap it up here. Um, um, we'll play some old... Play some old... Again, we may play old nation some old nation talk, talk programs. Towards the end of the year. Listen to that. Listen to that.
then God bless you.